if you were not here last week, Jeremy set the tone for us this summer. He talked about the holy discipline of celebration. And he said, this is not going to be a quiet summer at Arise. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) He said, it's going to be a summer of celebration and joy and fire and glory because that's what Jesus deserves. Amen. Okay. So uh, as you can see, we are going to stay in the momentum of celebration. All right. Thank you. Because <laughs> we have good news. I know. Right. We have good news. We have something to celebrate. And as Wes mentioned, it's Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you were here last week, you get that too. <laughs> I happen to think that Pentecost is uh, maybe God's greatest miracle. How on earth the living God can come and dwell inside of us is the most miraculous thing in the history of the world. But it's true, and it happened, and it's here. So we have something to celebrate. Amen? Okay, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 5. Before we read this, I want to try to clear something up that might be confusing to some of you. Okay, I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. And when I read this, it might contain some of the story that your versions of the Bible might not have. Okay, the latter part of verse 3 and verse 4 are not included in a lot of versions of the Bible. And if your Bible doesn't have it, it'll be in the footnotes. Okay, the reason for this, it's not some big conspiracy to leave out parts of the Bible. The reason for this is because when the first English translations of the Bible were translated, the Greek text they were translated from had those pieces of the verse in there. Since then, they have discovered several earlier texts that don't include them. And so they've decided that probably as they were copying them through the ages, that that was an author's note that they included. And so a lot of the later versions don't include it, and a lot of the earlier versions have it. But if your Bible doesn't have it, it's in the footnotes. Either way, we're not going to be distracted by that. Okay, because our eyes are going to be on Jesus and the man that he's encountering in the story. Okay, you guys ready? All right, we're going to start in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? 
The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Okay? So John who wrote this account, this story, he ends his book by saying that Jesus did many more things than this. And if they were all recorded one by one, that the world could not contain the books that would be written. Okay? So while every person that Jesus healed is important, if their story is included in Scripture, it's because there was something bigger that Jesus was doing. Okay? In these stories, it's important that, the, that they're healed, and it's important that the way they're healed. But what's also significant in the story that Jesus is very often confronting a major belief system or a religious hypocrisy or a spirit, supernatural principality in the region or some kind of generational uh, stronghold. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. So in this case, there was a pool where the waters were believed to have healing power. And the belief was that when the waters were stirred, that they came alive with the power to heal. And if you were there and your eyes were fixed on the water and you saw this happen, if you could be the first one to jump in, then you could be made whole. Okay? You guys okay so far? Okay. So the remains of this particular pool were discovered in Jerusalem by an archaeologist in the 1800s. Okay? By the mid-1900s, they determined that this is the same pool that... um, that is in the book of John, the same one that that John is talking about. And what they also discovered at this site were the remains of an ancient Greek healing center that was dedicated to the Greek god Asclepius. Now, Asclepius was the Greek god of healing. And there were healing centers all over the Roman Empire, over 400 of them, that were all over the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. Okay, and these healing centers were called Asclepions. And they were, they, were, they were often built around what they considered to be sacred bodies of water. Okay, so, the, so they believed that there were spirits that would come and stir the water. And then if people would jump in the water, then they would be healed. So the people would come into these healing centers and they would pay tribute to the god Asclepius and they would bring their mats and they would camp out in in the healing center and they would bathe in the water and they would drink the water and then they would sleep there and the temple priests would come to them in their dreams with drugs and, uh, and dreams in their dreams and prescribe a remedy for them to be healed, Okay. And that's how that would work. Not that we're going to spend too much focus on that. But I want you to understand that whether or not this this body of water was entirely part of the Asclepion or whether it was shared with the Jews who believed that that it was an angel of God who was stirring the water, 
We don't know the answer if it was either one or the other. What we do know is that Jesus walked right into this place and he confronted a major belief system of the day in the stronghold of the enemy. Okay? Does that make sense? He says, hey, it's not okay that you guys believe that Asclepius is the great physician. I am the great physician. Okay? And I'm about to show my power over this whole system. Okay? So he walks up to the man, and the man is lying there on his mat near the water among all these people who are there to be healed. And he asked the man what seems to us to be a very um, obvious question. Do you want to be made well? Okay? A lot of us are like, why would you ask that? <laughs> uh, but Jesus doesn't use the Greek word sozo here, which is the word that's often translated as healed in the New Testament. He uses the Greek word that it, that where we get our English word hygiene. And, in, and as he's doing this, he's speaking the language of the Asclepion. Because one of the gods of this, of this healing center also was called by that name, and she was believed to be the daughter of Asclepius. And so Jesus is exercising his authority over this stronghold and this belief system by speaking this language. Okay? And not only is he about to demonstrate his power over the physical realm of healing, he's about to demonstrate his power that I'm not just here to heal your body, I care about your soul as well. Okay, so he asked the men the question, you've been in this condition for 38 years. Do you want to be made well? What is going on in your heart? Because I'm not just here to heal your body. I want to know how you feel because how you feel on the inside is important and I care how you feel. Okay, he gives the man the chance to pour out all his years of frustration. Okay, you guys okay so far? Because this man had been sick for 38 years. And in the original language, it tells us that he was literally held captive in a position of weakness. And I wonder how many years, how many days in these 38 years that he came to this water and and kept his eyes on the water thinking and hoping maybe today will be different. And I wonder how many times he saw the water move and then he saw someone else jump in and was like, oh, he saw somebody else jump in and get the thing that he was longing for. And I wonder how many times throughout the years that he saw the celebration of someone else when they got the thing that he wanted, but yet he still hadn't received it for himself. And Jesus said, I want to know what you want. Because I'm not just here to heal you. I want to know what you want. And when Jesus says this word want, this goes way beyond what you desire. This even goes way beyond what you've decided and determined in your heart that you want. The answer to this question, what do you want, is not answered until you move and do something. Indicating 
that this is what I want so much, I'm willing to do something about it. And that's what Jesus is, is asking, that's, that's what Jesus is asking him. He's like, do you want, is the desire to be made well, is it, is it big enough, is it great enough for you to do something? Is it great enough for you to stop waiting around for your circumstances to line up? Is it big enough for you to stop waiting around for the waters to be stirred? Is it big enough for you to stop waiting around for someone else to put you in the water? Is your desire big enough for you to do something about it? Is it big enough for you to come and pour out all your frustrations and all your anger and all your bitterness and all your questions? Is it big enough for you to pour it out and submit yourself to my word? You know what's confusing? Is that the man didn't even answer Jesus' question. <laughs> he just, he come, he, his answer was excuses. His answer was about all the ways that he couldn't reach the water because the water was still his only source of healing. And it was also on, here's all the people that got in before me. I still remember. I still remember their face. I still remember how I felt. I still remember all the people that got in before me. And you know what's astonishing? None of that bothered Jesus. None of that stopped him from healing him. He didn't say, oh, you have a terrible attitude. He didn't say, well, your attitude is not right. I'm out of here. He didn't say anything except rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately, immediately, the man was cured. You see, Jesus' healing was not dependent on the man's perfect answer to his question. Jesus' healing was not even dependent on whether or not the man was willing to change. See, Jesus was there to confront a belief system. He was there to confront a counterfeit source of living water. He was there to confront a counterfeit great physician. He was there to confront a counterfeit mentality that my outward circumstances determine how I feel inside. He was there to confront these things. He was there to show, hey, the healing of God happens through relationship and it happens through encounter. It doesn't happen because you were strong enough or lucky enough to jump in the magic water first. He came to show that my healing comes from mercy and compassion, not because you've achieved the right to be healed. He was there to show that I heal freely and I don't require payment for it. He was there to show that I'm not just here to heal your body. I care about the whole person inside and outside. Okay? So Jesus says this and immediately the man was cured. And when the man gets up and picks up his mat, it says that Jesus just disappeared into the crowd. And the man doesn't... He doesn't go after him. He doesn't look for him. He doesn't try to thank him. He just picks up his mat and, walk, and begins to walk home. And it kind of answers the question, do you want to be made well? 
Because sometimes we're so comfortable with the condition that we've been in that we don't know who we are without it. And sometimes Jesus speaks a word and we're a little unsure about entering fully into it because we're way too comfortable over here. And we like the idea of being well. But we don't necessarily want to to lay everything down to walk in it. Okay? So as this man was walking home, (laughs) he, he was confronted by some of the Jewish leaders because it was the Sabbath. And he was carrying his bed. And they said, hey, you can't do that. You can't carry your bed on the Sabbath. And he, again, he was full of excuses. There was no celebration in his words. There was no excitement in his testimony. There was no acknowledgement about the power of God. He just said, hey, that man who did this to me, he made me walk. He made me do it. <laughs> he made me carry my bed. <laughs> okay? <laughs> um. So Jesus, after he did this, Jesus, he didn't even know who Jesus was. He was like, I don't know who he was. Some man came by, he did this, he told me to pick up my bed, it's his fault. So then Jesus found him later in the temple, and he said, hey, look at yourself. You're, you're, you're healed. Look at this. He said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, you know what Jesus was saying? Do you want to be healed on the inside as well as the outside? Okay? Now you've seen what I can do. Let me have access to the inside. And sadly, the man didn't do it. As soon as Jesus encountered him and he was like, oh, yeah, that's the man, he went straight to the Jewish leaders and and told them, oh, there's that man over there. He did it. And even though he was miraculously healed, he did not receive the healing on the inside. Because here's the thing. Jesus can heal our bodies without our permission. The man never answered his question, do you want to be made well? He can, he can heal our bodies without our permission. He cannot heal our souls unless we participate. He wants your permission. Do you want to be made well? Do you want it bad enough to come and lay down everything that is keeping you from experiencing it? Because I'll heal your body. That's easy. But I'm going to need your permission to heal your soul. Contrast this with the man a few chapters later in John chapter 19. He heals a man that was born blind from birth. And he also healed him on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders also questioned him. And he was just full of praise and excitement for what Jesus had done. And they kept trying to say, like, that's not okay what he did. Do you know who he is? He's a sinner. He's all these things. And, and the man was like, I don't know who he is. I don't care who he is. All I know is I was blind and now I see That's God. You can't argue with that. That's celebration. That's testimony. Jesus found that man later too. And that man put his faith in Jesus and knelt down down in front of Jesus and worshipped him. He's like, "I, I want it all. I don't want just my body healed. I want my soul healed. I want it all. I want everything he has to offer. 
See, both men had access to the miracle power of Jesus. Both men received miraculous physical healings, but only one man was made whole. Because that requires our permission. Okay? You guys okay? (laughs) So let me tell you why this question is so important to ask ourselves, okay? Because a few chapters later in John chapter 7, Jesus was in Jerusalem for another feast. And this time it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast went on for eight days. And during this eight days, people would come from all over to Jerusalem and they would camp out in tents and what they call booths, okay? And during this time, they would have this ceremony. They called it the water drawing ceremony. And they would take a picture from the temple and they would come out of the temple and they would come out down through the southern gates, one of the southern gates of the temple outside to the pool of Siloam and they would get water, which is, they call it the pool of the Messiah. So they would get water out of this and they would carry it all back up to the temple and they would get to the altar and they would pour out the water and the wine on the sacrifice. And they would do this um, almost every day of the eight days. Okay, so when they would do this, when they would have this ceremony, all the people would join in and there would be this huge celebration and they would be singing and dancing and blowing shofars and all of this stuff. And the the Jewish Talmud says that if you have not seen this celebration of this ceremony, then you've not seen rejoicing in your entire life. That's how big it was. That's how much they celebrated. And what they were celebrating was the fact, they were celebrating the fact that Messiah was coming and that he was going to bless the land and pour out his blessings on the land. So Jesus is attending this ceremony as the Messiah and he's watching all this. And so sooner or later he can't take it anymore and he stands up and he says in a loud voice, hey, Whoever comes to me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And it says, then it says, by this he met the spirit, um, which those who were to, which those who believed him were later to receive. Okay, do you know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, when my spirit comes, you no longer need to look to outward circumstances for your living water. You no longer need to wait for the waters to be stirred as a sign that God is moving. You no longer have to wait for your circumstances to all line up so that you can feel whole. Because living water is now within you. Don't go looking for living water. You are the living water. You're in a dry and thirsty land. You water it because you, we are carriers of his spirit. We are the living water. We are the refreshing. And we wonder how on earth, like we walk around wondering, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, we all have bad days. We all have bad moments where we don't know what we're going to do. It's not okay for us to stay here. We have living water. We are connected through the living water that flows from the throne of heaven. This is us. 
We keep waiting around for the move of God. You are the move. We are the move. We are the water on a dry and thirsty land. Not us, but because we're carriers of his spirit. Okay? Celebration. You know that after the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on Pentecost, Peter and John went to the temple. And they saw a man who had been crippled since birth. And the man asked them for money. And, and uh, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm imagining what we would say. And uh, like they didn't wring their hands and go, you know what? I just the economy's kind of bad. I don't really know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put gas in my car, pay my bill. Like I don't know how I'm gonna get. Like they were just like, hey, we're not gonna focus on what we don't have. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to form a committee. We're not going to do all these things. What we're going to do is we're going to give you what we have. Silver and gold, I don't have. It doesn't matter. I, what I have, I give you. Get up and walk because I have living water inside of me because I carry the spirit of the living God. I am connected to the throne of heaven. Where I go, things start stirring up. I don't have to wait for something else to stir the waters. I'm the stirrer of the waters. When, <laughs> when this man got healed, it says that he jumped up on his feet and he was leaping and he was dancing and he was praising God. And such a celebration broke out because of this man's healing. It says thousands were saved. And it got the Jewish leader's attention, and they came and they threw Peter and John in jail. <laughs> Who cares? We have living water. We have the, the spirit of the living God. They come out the next day, and they were like, did you do this? They said, yes, we did. Yes, we did. In the name of Jesus. Why are you looking at us? We have the name of Jesus. We have the spirit of God. It was him. And you know, there was such a celebration the next day that was still going on that they couldn't do anything to them. They had to let them go. They were like, we can't do anything. The man, they're over there praising God. What are we going to do? Celebration. It wasn't because it all worked out. It's because they said, what we have, we give you. We are the living water. Worship team, come back up. <laughs> Listen, some of you may be having a really hard time. I want you to know that's okay. Jesus, that's why Jesus asked the question come pour it all out on me. It's okay. But what I want you to do is I want you to get up and know that what you have changes the world. What you have has the ability to change a dry and thirsty land. Okay? There's something about celebration they can't the, <laughs> the enemy can't say anything he can't, I was like you can't take my testimony 
the last church we were at, the five of us, the last church we were at, there was a group of us that were just experiencing the spirit of God and the presence of God. And we had a prayer meeting every Sunday morning at nine o'clock at the church and everyone was invited. And very often we would end up celebrating. And I had someone come to me one time and say, hey, you need to talk to that group that's being loud and dancing because we've got people here that are going through a really hard time and it's it's offensive and it's insensitive to people who are going through a hard time for them to be loud in prayer. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, hey, I was like, you see West Springer who's like standing right in front of the uh, the speakers as close as he could get. It's like blowing his hair back. And he's just like, he don't know what's going on in the room. He's just dancing and praising God. And he's probably going through the hardest thing he's ever been through in his life at the time. And you see Caroline over here and you see her dancing and, and laughing and praising. Do you know that she just lost her friend to ALS? You see Jeremy and Nedra over here, they're dancing, they're shouting, they're praising. They're going through what was at the time one of the hardest things in their life. It's not about if I'm going through a hard time or not. It's about a choice that I will celebrate what I have because what I have is greater than all my excuses and everything else. It's greater than all those things. It's not about what I don't have, what I haven't had, what, how long it's been. It's about what I now have. I have the Spirit of God. I have living water. I have enough. Don't ever let anyone be offended by your celebration because they don't know the price that it costs you to do it. He's worthy of it all. And you don't have to dance. Celebration doesn't always look like dancing, but it always looks like something. It always looks like, what are you willing to do? Is your desire to be well enough that you're willing to do something about it? We're going to celebrate stay in this momentum of celebration this is a summer of celebration let's stand up the worship team is going to lead us out you're free to go you're free to go get your kids and come back in here with them they're going to do this as long as they need to and uh, we're going to celebrate mm-hmm. oh we celebrate Mmm.